Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Amen. That is a great song. That is a great song. I, I recall growing up in all kinds of children's classes and clubs and programs through the church. Some of you will recall this too. Mrs. Lehman wrote a song that's similar, but it's kind of a kid song, but it's in our hymnal. Do you know that you've been born again? Do you know that you've been born again? Great, great chorus. I remember all the kids' voices blending together in harmony or well, an semblance of harmony. And uh, singing that out, little, little faces all aglow, little cheeks turning bright red, you know, as they're singing out for all those little veins popping out. You'd think they'd explode. They like to sing that song so much. And one of the reasons kids and adults like to sing these songs is because there is nothing this side of heaven that's more thrilling than knowing that we're saved. And it's because that we are saved that we company together and we have this local church. If you haven't got one, I invite you. But uh, there are local churches across this country right now that are in various stages of lockdown and haven't been as fortunate to stay open all this time as we have. And so some of them gather and they view our services or our various uh, uh, things that we offer on, online, and that's been their church for this time, and we're glad to be part of their church, but we believe in the local church. It's a, it's a group, it's an assembly of born-again people who are scripturally baptized, accompanying together, assembling together for the purpose of, of, uh, of edification and evangelism, carrying out the Great Commission and observing uh, the ordinances of, of uh, baptism and Lord's Supper. We're part of, of something much greater, but in our local church, we have something that's alive and functioning. See, if you're out there and you're saved and I'm saved, we have Jesus Christ in common. Amen? Uh, the difficulty is serving together if you're 3,000 miles away. We're doing the same thing, but we're doing it parallel. We're not, doing, we're not connected, even though we would, we would say we agree, but we're still not physically, functionally connected. The local church is... God's living thing, it's His institution for this age, this age of grace. And so we're glad to have born-again folks. We believe in uh, regenerated church membership of the Baptist distinctives that we've taught time and time again, B-R-A-P-S-I-S, -S, a little two after it. Uh, the R stands for regenerated church membership. We believe that folks need to be saved. You don't come into this church... Uh, by birth, first birth, or by assimilation, but by being scripturally added to the church as a saved person, getting scripturally baptized, coming, being regular in attendance. So thank God for everybody that knows that they've been born again. If you're one of those, say amen. Come on. I hear you out there as well. Amen. Amen and amen. Thank you for your faithful support of our church in prayer. There are many that need prayer at the end of this service tonight, after the invitation, we'll have some prayer requests and praises. And thank you, those that, that called them in, text them in, and uh, share them with us. Thank you for your faithful financial support. The tithe and the regular faith promise has kept us paying all of our bills on time. Thank God for that. I appreciate you. And we have a special offering that we're receiving tonight and uh, Sunday and then a week from tonight, and then we're, we're through with that uh, special offering. And, and it is a, a love offering 
use the envelope that says that. At the top, at the top write ZIC or ZIX, Z-I-C-K. The ZIX are a special project right now. So thank you for sharing in that. We've helped them with supplemental support. Also, we've bought them a new tent after theirs blew away in a tornado. But God protected all their stuff. We have, of course, every day the opportunity to go online, join the pastor or guest speakers for From the Shepherd to the Sheep. From 6 o'clock on, just tap in the proper place. I hope you'll subscribe if you're viewing this. Just tap where it says subscribe. I'd like to encourage everybody along those lines. Every day we meet with you, we give you something to sing all day long and a thought to think about. And uh, we're, we're meeting daily in that respect. I've been doing it for over a year now. Praise God. All right. Also, we have... Uh, during the week, we have this midweek service at 7.30 Wednesday night. But then on Sunday, we meet at 9.45 for Sunday school. We've got something for every age person. It's in a unified service in a format that, that is assimilatable and assimilable. Assimilatable. Is that, did I invent two new words or just one? How about a compound word, all right? You can, you can take it in, all right? Bless God, you can take it in, all right. So um, hopefully we'll have lots of young and old alike at Sunday school this Sunday. Some coming in person, more and more coming back. Uh, the 11 o'clock morning service right here in the auditorium, more and more people coming back, but some viewing. And then 6.30 on Sunday evening, 7.30 on Wednesday evening. Uh, men are getting together on Saturdays. We're going to be sanitizing, cleaning, getting this place already germ-free. Praise God for that. And we do have men a virtual faithful men's meeting at 7.30 a week from next Monday night on May the 3rd. Uh, we'll give you more instructions. It's just like we did last time, but uh, we have a faithful men's meeting, so we'd like to have you join us for that. I believe those are all the announcements we want to make at this time. Would you take your Bible, please, with me? And before we get into Ephesians, a few more verses just for the sake of building this case. There are those people who say, because they feel unworthy or because they are imperfect, and let me clarify, we are unworthy except in Christ. He makes us worthy. And there are times we don't feel saved because we don't act or behave saved because we've got an old nature, even as a saved person. And so there are some folks who have falsely taught or been falsely taught, and they continue to hang on to this idea that you have to do something to stay saved. That you have to stay saved by works. So they add to grace works. And that's contrary to Scripture. I want you to see it several different ways today. You say, well, I found a Scripture that seems to say that. But in its context, and along with all the other Scriptures, it does not disagree with the rest of the Bible. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. When anybody says you've got to hang on, just keep hanging on, they'll usually be taking some tribulation scripture out of context uh, where we read of those folks that need to endure to the end. It doesn't have anything to do with us or salvation. But in John chapter 5... John chapter 5 and verse 24, a great, great verse to memorize. In our good old King James Bible, it starts out, Verily, verily, means truly, truly, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, that's the Bible, 
so you're hearing the word, and believeth on him that sent me, that's trusting the Lord for salvation, hath, that means right now, everlasting life. Now, everlasting life isn't something we work up or we add to. Everlasting life is like a stream from eternity past to eternity future. And when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what the Apostle Paul said to the Philippian jailer when he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In, in Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31, Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. In John 1.12 it says, But as many as received him, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So when you believe to receive, so Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. At that moment, that Philippian jailer believed. What happened? He tapped into that stream of eternal life. That's where it started for him. Now, it started in eternity past. It goes to eternity future and never ends. He just tapped into it. And no matter how the devil, the world, and the flesh try, they, they, can't, uh, they can't dam up <laughs> the, uh, the tapping into that eternal life. All right, so it says, uh, and hath right now, and forevermore, everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation. Over here is where we start, condemnation. We start on the, on the dark side of the board. There's a line right down the middle. That's where your peg is. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and your peg gets moved over to the life side, the light side, and will never pass back into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. How many of you are getting it now? Come on. How many of you are understanding what I'm saying? All right, so we're saved... And we're saved forever. Now there are those that say, well, I believe I was taught down in the country, once saved, once saved, always saved. And that may be a homespun way of saying it, but the Bible says, shall not come into condemnation. So condemnation is what we had before we were saved. We're not going to come back into that condition of judgment. We're not under judgment because where did our sins get judged? You say, oh, out in the future at the great judgment. No, no, no. Our sins got judged at Calvary. When Jesus died on the cross and shed His blood, our sins were judged at that point. If Christ's sacrifice was not sufficient for every lost sinner who comes to God through Him, then His death was a waste. And it was a cruel joke. But I'm here to tell you, I'm glad to say that it's not the case that Jesus Christ paid it all and all to Him we owe. Go over to John chapter 6 now. John chapter 6 and verse... 37, John 6, 37, where it says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. So we're, we're drawn by the Spirit to uh, salvation in, in through Christ. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise, that means never under any circumstances, cast out. I will in no wise. There, are, there is no cause for which we will be cast out. Those are wonderful, wonderful verses. And tonight, I've got to say that I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. It's not what somebody says it says, but what it says that makes all the difference. So, we've got our Bible in hand tonight. We believe it is the Word of God. We believe that it contains no mistakes, and God helping us, we're going to try to obey it. We're beginning in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, that entire section. Once again, this is fourth, fifth time through it. 
All right, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. How? In the Lord, in the Lord, and in the power of His might. So we're depending on Him. This teaches us total, absolute dependence upon the Lord. We can't do anything in our own strength. The strength, the arm of the flesh will fail you and me. Verse 11, we have a responsibility to put on the whole armor of God. Not just some of it, but all the armor of God. Learn what it is now. That you may be able to do what? To stand against the wiles of the devil. That word stand is very important. We need to stand up against the trickery and the deceit of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. This isn't a carnal or a physical battle in the material world, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. All four of those categories refer to demonic powers, the spirit world. It is a real thing. All right, now, verse 13. Wherefore, whenever you see wherefore or therefore, you look back and see what it's therefore. That's right. Okay, wherefore, take unto you how much of the armor? The whole armor of God, every piece that you may be able to withstand, a different form of stand, withstand in the evil day, in the day of temptation, the day of trial, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. So we have four different forms of standing. We need to be able to stand up against this spiritual, this unseen opposition of ours. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now this is a huge leather belt that's worn by a Roman soldier, it is called the girdle, and it only uh, it functions primarily for holding all the armor in place so that when that, uh, that soldier, that Roman soldier as the example, is doing double time up the hill or whatever, everything isn't flopping every direction, but it's all staying intact, so he is protected. In this case, the Christian soldier who stands against the wiles of the devil, needs to be protected at all times. You need to have everything kind of staying together. That's what it is. It's a girdle of truth. It's a belt of truth. The Bible is absolute truth. I don't believe in subjective truth. I believe that truth is absolute. I'm old-fashioned. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate, uh, it uh, protects us from any of those fiery darts that are coming at us from the devil, we're going to read about, that are coming at the heart. Now, a lot of people lose heart. A lot of people uh, fail to go on in their Christian experience because they become discouraged and, and dissatisfied. But we need to have heartfelt, deep, all the way to the core convictions, and that comes from the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, those were... Those were war sandals uh, that the soldier wore, and they had greaves up the front that protected the front of the leg to the knees, and um, they were hobnailed so that they would have their traction when they were uh, in slippery places and wouldn't be sliding back or sliding, falling down, and so forth, keeping their feet. This is, of course, the preparation of the gospel of peace. That's soul winning, praise the Lord. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Now, this is important. The shield of faith is not the little round shield that you see depicted on Roman soldiers sometimes, but it is the full body length uh, that is made from the top of the head to the soles of the feet and protects from incoming darts that are being fired that we're going to read about in just a moment. It is uh, made of, of wood and, and covered over with brass, leather, or whatever was chosen as a material 
because it would have to take the impact, as it says here, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. You know in ancient times that they would, they would fire incendiary arrows or darts, and uh, they would sometimes be uh, a flame, and that would burn anything that it hit. Sometimes it would splatter uh, bitumen, tar. Uh, sometimes they would be dipped in poison and were fiery in that sense, like the fiery serpents poisonous and would kill on impact. And so it was uh, very important that they were protected. And this shield is the shield of faith. We mentioned it briefly. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to keep our shield up at all times because of the way the devil comes after us. Now we come to verse 17, which is our text tonight. And take the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. These are connected. That's why they're in the same verse, but we're going to take them separately. In other words, you and I cannot have that blessed assurance without the Word of God. My assurance of salvation is based on my uh, spiritual understanding of what God says in His Word about saving me, and it's all up to the Lord. My salvation isn't about my keeping some promise or some guarantee or contract, my side of it. When I receive Christ as my Savior, my salvation becomes totally dependent upon God keeping His Word. Salvation is a covenant promise. Salvation is a completed and final deal. It's done. It's a done deal. It is finished. That's what Jesus said upon the cross. And tonight as we think about salvation, everything needs to be based upon our understanding of the Word of God as it is uh, taken and understood in proper context. So tonight we'll take the helmet of salvation. Next week we'll take the sword of the Spirit, though they are related. Father, fill me now with the Spirit. Help everyone to have anointed ears as they hear the word preached in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Oliver B. Green, one of my favorite old-time preachers. He being dead yet speaketh. He's on uh, the radio. I think you can catch him on the AM station that comes out of D.C. And uh, he preaches on a lot of stations across America, even though he's been gone now for decades. Oliver B. Green speaks of the helmet of salvation. He says, what is it? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Salvation is of the Lord. I preached on that Sunday night. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost all that come unto God by him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. He gave all those scriptures in one paragraph and says, the scriptures clearly teach us that salvation is Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not, the Son hath not life. The wrath of God abides on those that have not the Son, that have not life. There it is. It's cut and dried. It's plain and it's simple. We sing blessed assurance, one of the great songs, one of the great hymns of the faith. I don't know how folks who are not believers in eternal security can sing that hymn. Maybe they've ripped it out of their hymn books. I don't know. But it's really our strong point. 
when we are witnessing or soul winning, many times we talk to people who have uh, somewhat of an understanding of salvation, but they don't have assurance. Isn't that right, Daquan? We, we talk to a lot of people like that. Over the years, uh, I've had the privilege of saying to people, you know, sometimes someone will come to your door and they'll be selling you life insurance. I'm here to talk to you about something that's absolutely free. It's called eternal life assurance. That's a good line, and it's true. Absolutely true. Yes. So we're saved, and we know it for sure. I remember the, um, the Statesman Quartet with Jake Hess singing that so emphatically with his voice. I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm saved and I know that I am. I'm so glad that I know that I am. Oh, yes. I'm so glad that I know that I am. Now, that's a lot of over and over and over and over again. But, but you know, that's good emphasis. We're living in a world of uncertainty. And the one thing that we don't want to be uncertain about is where we're going when we die. We need to know it for sure. There's nothing like standing by the bedside of a saint who's about to pass into eternity, and they know that they know that they know that they've been born again. Sometimes they even start to see things on the other side. Been there. They start to see. You say, oh, well, they're just hallucinating. It's an oxygen depletion thing. You know, they're, they're just imagining it. Imagining it. Well, it's real to them. And that's where they're going. And, uh, and I don't doubt it one bit. I don't doubt it one bit. We were in a hospital room one time and we were standing around singing all the great hymns of the faith. And all of a sudden the lady stopped and said, I see so-and-so. I see so-and-so. And she was talking about her brother and uh, uh, another family member. And she, she could actually look over to the other side and see him. And I think that's great. I don't think that's pitiful. I think that's wonderful. The lost... Souls of this world don't have that assurance. Well, I tell you, they see things, you know. I mean, uh, you have, uh, you have uh, the accounts of the unsaved who have gone out into eternity. Voltaire, who was a, uh, an atheist, a Christ denier, and a critic of the Bible. Uh, they say his death was so violent as he lay on his deathbed, and he was thrashing about and screaming, uh, screaming out that the nurse that attended him had to leave the building. She couldn't stand to be there when Voltaire died because he was screaming about feeling flames on his feet and the, the demons were coming for him and tell him to get out, tell him to get out. It was awful. You say, well, once again, he was just hallucinating. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. But we know where Christ deniers go. They go to that horrible place called hell. So we need... We need to emphasize our strengths. Our strength is we know that we're saved. It's just not supposing. It's just not, not guessing. But it is a reality for us. This fifth piece of armor, the helmet of salvation, designed for the head. Because a wound is a terrible thing when you get it. In old time fighting with swords and spears and arrows and so forth, projectiles, a wound is terrible with this... The, the level, the degree of medicine that they sometimes had on battlefields, uh, you were left for dead. That's it. You got wounded, you were dead. But a wound in the head can be critical anytime. Uh, it's a vital part of our being. You can't do without the head. And so we need protection. A soldier of Jesus Christ may be, as one person has said, may be true-hearted. 
But if the devil aims a dart at his brain and hits it, that soldier loses his worth in the army of Jesus Christ. I think that's a great quote. I believe it. Some believe all that's necessary for a Christian is to possess a warm heart. But that's not true. If you're not solid upstairs where the helmet of salvation is, I'm telling you, the devil's going to go after you every way that he possibly can. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm going to help some of you tonight to get victory. I want to hear from you that this was a blessing or it helped you in some way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Now Paul is writing by inspiration to the church at Corinth. They've, they've already settled some matters. The church had problems with the immaturity, carnality. Paul already dealt with that. A lot of that was corrected. Now he's dealing with some practical aspects. If the, if the devil comes after you and wants to get you, this is how he's going to get you, Christians. Uh, Merrill Unger wrote a very uh, insightful book before he died. Changed his position. He had said previously that uh, if you're saved, there's no way the devil can get you. And I agree, there's no way he can cause you to lose salvation. But what Merrill Unger had been standing on that the devil can't bother a Christian, totally changed when he gave the matter more study. And he realized that a lot of the activity of Satan and his demons are focused against Christians for this very reason. If he can immobilize us, cause us to become ineffective as a born-again believer, he can't get us to die and go to hell. But maybe he can get us to stop serving so that other people will die and go to hell without getting saved. we got to keep on going. So one foot in front of the other. Keep on going, Christian soldier. Don't give up. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse number 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. So we're walking where our feet are here, but our war is not to be um, prosecuted like we do other things. Today, some of you worked with your hands. Some of you put a lot of mileage in with your feet and uh, did a lot of things in this material world. But defeating the devil is not done by our works with our hands and our feet, with our physical being. It's, it's done in other ways, but it's done spiritually. So the weapons, verse 4, of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The word strongholds, those words together, refers to uh, fortresses or castles in the old-fashioned sense. And these are in the mind. These are in the spirit of the mind. And so it says in verse 5, casting down imagination. So where we imagine, God gave us the capacity to imagine, to think. Why did God give us imagination? Well, not so that it could be... Uh, you know, hijacked by the, the, the devil and his demons and used to imagine untruth and ma imagine things that are wicked or sinful, but rather for the purpose in God's perfect will of imagining how God would have us to, to be, behave, to act, and so forth. One of my mentors, one of my heroes now with the Lord Jesus, used to write down in a notebook when everything was calm, when everything was sane and settled down, how he would behave in any given situation if a certain circumstance arose, 
how he would behave according to the Word of God. He wrote down the Scripture to go with it. So he had a thick notebook with how to behave in any given situation. You say, well, why would you do that? Well, it's like anything else. When your car doesn't function, you reach down to the glove box and you take out the owner's manual. And you look in the, the directory for the, maybe it's your headlights or maybe it's, uh, maybe it's you know, uh, some gauge, you know, that's, that's going off and you want to know what that's all about. A certain icon, maybe in your dashboard if you've got that kind of thing. You look in there and it tells you in your owner's manual what it means and what to do about it, who to call if you have to call somebody. Well, there you go. This is, this is exactly right. When it comes to our behaviors, we need to always be behaving according to the Word of God. <clears throat> if you've got to, <clears throat> excuse me, if you've got to uh, compile a notebook, please do it. By all means, do that and get ready in any given situation. Too often, we resort to the flesh. And so there's, there's a whole lot of stuff that we end up having to repent of and confess and get right with God because we reacted to a situation in the flesh. And I'm telling you, our spirituality is only going to be as solid as our foundation in the Word of God. That situation, uh, we're, going to, we're going to react to with our gut, with our feeling, with our mouth too often. Oh, the damage we do with our mouths. All right, so there it is. Our, our weapons are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So the devil can access your imagination. He can access your thinking process. He can whisper in your ear. And his demons, are there are a multitude of them. And so I'm sure there are a number of them assigned to each of us. And whatever the potential is for making a difference in the lives of other people, I'm sure that's how many demons you've got assigned to you. And so there's going to be lots of temptation to respond incorrectly, to lose your temper, lose your cool, to, to take somebody else at their worst instead of giving the benefit of the doubt and committing it to Jesus and putting it under the blood. And great peace have they that love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. You know, amen, amen. Jump down to um, chapter 11, in verse number 3, here Paul says, But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds, minds, see that, should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, a big part of our failure to respond correctly is this whole problem of complexity. We were counseling some folks recently, and I once again reviewed, remember when you were a child, you had one of those plastic uh, poles that you put plastic rings of different colors on, and you got it all stacked up, and you'd rearrange it, and that's what toddlers do. Well, our life with its complexities, and any given situation, any given relationship, uh, any institution with which we're involved, any set of choices we have to make. Like that plastic pole with all those rings. When we're counseling, we say we're going to take that and we're going to lay that down sideways and we're going to separate each of those different things and deal with it 
according to the scriptures. We don't take the time to do that, either because we are wired to have a hair-trigger response that's negative, that's painful, that's hurtful, that's unscriptural, that's in the flesh. We're just used to that. Our pattern is just to respond, and then later on, do damage control. Folks, don't do that. The devil wants you to be a mess. She just go to pieces all the time, all the time, with whoever, whatever situation. Whether it is an emotional meltdown, or whether it is an angry response, or a cutting word, or something unfair, unkind. And we don't have the presence of mind to simply be calm, ask for guidance and direction, speak calmly, or speak not at all, or walk away from it, or whatever the case may be. But if we're going to be effective and not lose our testimony, then we're going to have to learn to do things differently than if we were just unsaved beings. The devil is going to mess with you. The world, the flesh, all of it's going to come on you, especially when you're weak. That's why Jesus was tempted in the wilderness after he had fasted 40 days, when he was physically the weakest, as an example. And how did he answer the devil? Scripture, with his Bible. He answered, thou shalt not tempt, you know, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, etc. And that's it. Satan attacks the mind. He attacks the mind. And we must systematically, are you listening out there? Get this. I want you to respond and let me know that you've done this. We need to go into those fortresses where we've got wrong attitudes, wrong ideas, Maybe we're upset with God because He didn't answer our prayer the way we wanted it. Maybe we lost a loved one. Or we lost a job opportunity. Uh, we've got some kind of physical situation and, and there doesn't seem to be any answer. Medicine doesn't seem to have the answers. And uh, there we are. We're blaming God. We hold something. We need to tear that thing down. Block by block. And when the devil comes, rebuke him and claim the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the name of Jesus Christ, say, Satan, be gone. You have no jurisdiction. I'm a child of God. Amen. I like it. Amen. Amen and amen. We need to be ready always to give an answer. That goes along with the spirit of the mind again. We need to feed the spirit of the mind and get it down. And we need to think, we need to run over it, rehearse it in our mind how we would apply that scripture. Learn that scripture and apply it and apply it and apply it. I was reading today about two university students that couldn't see anything but darkness because of, because of the fact that God has been dismissed, expelled, suspended from most public universities, if not all. You might find pockets of light here and there, but the sliver of light is just a, the exception rather than the rule. Now, you out there that are going to public university, don't attack me for telling the truth. It's just like the doctor who says you got cancer and you're going to need to do such and so. This is, this is the preacher saying most universities are, are just, I mean, you talk about uh, charred black earth, uh, just absolutely down to nothing. The truth is gone. As far as they're concerned, there are no absolutes. God is, God is a, a lie. It's just the opiate of the people. Uh, they are their grounds, uh, they're, they're fertile ground for, for growing communists, Marxists, 
We see it all around us. And it's inculcating the young minds. These two young university students shut themselves in a room and took their lives. They left a note which said, we've decided to go together. There's nothing left. Nothing left. Wow. Another child of a very, very wealthy, wealthy family, I remember, took their own life, saying, I'm sick and weary of social life. It's empty and there's nothing, nothing that makes me want to stay. No God means no purpose. And I'm glad that we've got a God who is there. And therefore, because university life and higher education, it's not higher, it's, it's the depths of hell now, but university uh, life has developed a generation, two, three, four generations now, back to back, who have become skeptical of anything that they might believe in. Nothing is definite. And what did Peter say? In 1 Peter chapter 3, let's go there. 1 Peter chapter 3, mark it down. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Set Him apart in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. It is very important that we give substantive answers and that we be prepared and not stammer and, and, and stumble, but rather give simple, honest, direct answers to those who are seeking the truth in a place where there is no other truth available. Recently, a poll was conducted. A poll was conducted among university age students and they were limited only to those who could answer the question that they were seeking answers to religious questions, to spiritual questions. They were asked to write in order three questions that they faced in religion and answers to those questions. And the three questions, is there a personal God? Does He really exist? Is He personal or is He just, you know, the expression of some, some uh, impersonal law out there in the cosmos? Second question, is Christ divine? Is He different from other men? Is He unique? Is He separate? Is He deity? And the third question is, it's important to belong to a church or to any religious or spiritual organization. The answers are not surprising. Because of the cesspool in which they find themselves today, their answers are predictable. They don't have any foundation. They don't have anything solid. They're seeking, but they, they're not finding it. Thank God for for churches and, and religious organizations based on the Bible that are reaching out to, to this group of people. But apologetics is part of this helmet of salvation. We need to be ready to give an answer to our kids, to our family, in-laws, to our neighbors, to our co-workers. And the devil is going to do everything he can to try to mess us up in that area, to separate our thinking process 
from the truth so that when questions are raised, we begin to doubt the Lord ourselves. And that's not unusual. As, as people become older and they have more difficulty with their thinking, a, a lot of folks that were pillars of the, of the church and, and of the truth in the local church uh, seem to get a little softer. They seem to get a little less sure of their answers. We need to put it all on Jesus, be dependent on Him, and give Him the glory for the answers that are given. John Bunyan, great Baptist preacher in the late 1600s, came down out of his pulpit. He relates this. He says, came down out of his pulpit, and the devil's speaking to him, and he's answering the devil. And uh, somebody says to him, Pastor Bunyan, that was one of the greatest messages I've ever heard. And John Bunyan said, would you just wait a minute? I'd like to get you and the devil together because he just told me that when I stepped out of the pulpit. And there is a sense in which the devil is going to try to neutralize us by telling us we're really good at what we do. Truth is, we're not really good at it. Only God is good. We're always perpetually struggling at this. The helmet of the ancient Roman soldier was so constructed as to give the maximum protection against the broadsword that would come down. Now, the broadsword that would come down in hand-to-hand -hand combat was of such weight and, and was wielded with such force that it could, many times, it could split open a person there. And so they had to have something on there that is strong enough to withstand uh, that kind of an attack. The helmet of Roman days was to primarily protect the head from such a, uh, a fatal blow. Uh, the skull could be split, literally, by it. Uh, God appeals to us in an intellectual way as, as well. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, Isaiah 118. Paul reasoned of righteousness with Felix in Acts 24, 25. And Satan is trying to... to to do the same thing and to try to dismantle our intellectual um, position uh, that we hold with respect to God and His love toward us, why He cares for us, what He's doing for us. The Bible says, and take, and take the shield, take the helmet, take that, take the helmet. The word take means to accept from the hand of another as a gift. God offers us the gift, but we haven't taken it. We haven't taken it upon ourselves. We think we can just come to the battle casually, but if we come not dressed properly, we're going to be a fatality, a statistic. The assurance of salvation occurs when we take the helmet of salvation and we're in the Word of God until the Word of God is in us. The salvation helmet was Paul's helmet. The salvation helmet is our helmet as well. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, mark it down. Paul mentions the helmet. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Now hope is not used here in the sense of a wish or whimsical thinking, but rather it is a 
solid and settled foundation. It is the hope of salvation. Salvation is the beginning of hope and the future as well. Salvation touches the past, the present, and the future. We've been saved from the penalty of sin, as I have taught you in the past. We have been saved and are being saved from the power of sin in the present and until the future when we will be saved ultimately from the presence of sin. The helmet of salvation must be worn at all times to protect us against the attacks of Satan as he wants us to seek more and more, to possess more and more, to, to uh, go over uh, the line and, and succumb to temptation, to indulge in the things of this world, to feel and experience uh, all desires and passions that may come our way, uh, to, to hoard when God wants us to live on a shoestring. The unsaved person and the carnal person doesn't see any problem in what I've just said, those things that the devil will tempt us with. We have the helmet of salvation to keep us from succumbing in those areas and becoming ineffective as a representative, an ambassador of Jesus Christ and a soldier of Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Every head bowed, every eye closed and nobody's looking and if right now God is speaking to you about something let's do business with God how many of you tonight would say preacher God spoke to my heart about the helmet of salvation raise your hand up high God spoke to my heart amen amen if you don't know that you're saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved would you pray right now from your heart to God something like this dear God I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. And if you prayed that prayer, would you slip your hand up? Anyone at all?